Hey everyone and welcome to episode 18 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us today wherever you are listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, massive week of legends on the show as we had Ash Callis on yesterday's podcast and today, another Australian swimming legend and Olympic medalist in Mr. Andrew Lauderstein. Now, I mentioned a massive week, so stay tuned to the end of today's podcast, and I will announce another huge legend of our sport who will be joining us on the show this Friday. Today, though, we have Aussie flyer, Aussie record holder, and now Aussie business owner, Mr. Andrew Lauderstein, in a fantastic interview about his younger years on playing other sports, his successful swimming career and its massive moments, as well as going into business, CrossFit, and music. So make sure the volume in your car speakers is turned up. Set aside about 60 minutes of your day because EP18 starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining us today on the show is a triple Olympic medalist from Beijing in 2008. He's a swimmer who during his career was a successful athlete at every international level, including Commonwealth Games, Pampax, and World Champs. These days, he is kept very busy being a part owner of Engine Swimwear, which is a very successful Aussie brand. It is a very big welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Mr. Andrew Lauderstein. How are you, mate? Very good, mate. How are you? Mate, much better there after the second go around. For everyone who's not going to hear it, I stuffed up the intro the first time around, so we had to stop and start again, but... Luckily, uh, the um, the marvel of uh, of computers can we can go back and start again now, mate. Obviously, and you've listened to the show before. You know I'm coming to you today from uh, the studios in Sydney. Where have we <laughs> caught you today? Um, I'm at the engine offices. So um, yeah, in Corona times, everyone's kind of shut off a little earlier, mm. um, and we're very quiet here. So we've got majority of the team working from home. But I'm still popping in just to make sure all the online orders are being fulfilled. So in cold, wet rainy melbourne um in the t- suburb of mordialic mate um you mentioned there the business obviously talk to me about how it's been affected at the moment are you sort of fortunate that you get to do a lot of online stuff as well yeah we've been a little bit lucky with the with our online presence obviously i think retailers um globally um are bleeding um are hurting really bad and we're no different um but i guess it's also you've got to try and look at the positives of it all it's um it's an opportunity to kind of refine some processes as well while things are a little bit slower um i think often you can get so caught up in just the running of day-to-day business that you don't um, have time to stop reassess and try to kind of look at the big picture of the business and, and kind of where you want to go so we've kind of had those opportunities over the, the last few weeks to, to reassess and kind of improve a few processes and procedures which has been awesome um, but it would be great to to get back into the swing of things I'm I'm normally so busy around this back end of April period um, there's been no Aussies there's been no nationals and there's no Olympic trials so I'm hanging out to to get traveling again get on the roads get to events and um, to see people um, out and active has been really good like lots of people walking and swimming down the beaches and stuff like that but I think everyone's craving a bit of that structured um, training session so I'm keen for it all to to get back to normal mate you strike me as someone who who likes to stay quite active and if anyone follows you on instagram and stuff like that they would know that um obviously we're allowed out of the house sparingly to do a bit of exercise how have you been you know being stuck in the house and not being able to be out as much um i've been pretty lucky um so i've kind of shifted a little bit but not a massive deal i normally go to a big rec center gym um but lucky for me at my swim school i've got a gym there so each morning i've still been able to hit the gym um and then also then also a group of um former swimmers australian national team members there's probably about five or six of us who all um decided probably six weeks ago when the whole coronavirus first kind of 
sprung its head out and people were forced to train from home is we decided to pick Anzac Day as a time for us all to run a half marathon. Mm. So we got a bit of a Strava group going and um, held each other accountable over that six-week period. And at 8 o'clock on Anzac Day, we all headed off in our, um, from home and run our own routes and, and put a half marathon under the belt. So that was, nice. that was kind of cool as well. So I think that's been something that's been um, – pretty cool is the the communication and tools that we're all now using a little bit more than ever um to be honest i'm probably communicating more with my mates and um people from other states more than ever mm. um lots, lots of facetiming lots of house party lots of strava facebook instagram all that stuff and yeah. i think um it's been quite good and and you know there's been a less of that kind of showboating i think on social media it's a little bit more real world stuff which is kind of cool to see Mate, talk to me about, you know, the Olympics being pushed back to 2021, which obviously is something that had to happen and, and give equal opportunity to everyone to be at their best. Give yeah. us a little insight into an athlete's mind and what they're going through. Like, How would you have dealt with it at the moment if you were still in the pool? I think it was good that the decisions kind of been made far enough in advance or as soon as they could. Um, I think um, with the catastrophic events of, you know, the the virus itself, um, the athletes probably wouldn't have wanted to be there anyway and put themselves in a position of risk. Mm. Um, so I think the safety of all the athletes and and all the spectators who would have been in Tokyo, um, it's a good thing that they've been able to call it off early. As an athlete, I think um, there's now time to reassess, um, replan, and then maybe refocus again for next year. I think with the way that um, the swimmer's calendar kind of operates in four-year cycles that you, you, you do learn to become a bit patient. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a tricky time for everyone. There would have been some athletes who were really starting to hit their straps about now and, and they maybe feel like a bit of that work is wasted. But I think mm. that if they were to reflect upon it, um, it's a really maybe another good learning opportunity. It's like, hey, was that preparation looking good or maybe even some athletes were able to do a couple of time trials or do a taper or something and see how they were really looking um, so then they can reassess and, and plan their next preparation accordingly. But when they cancelled, I was shattered, to be honest. Mm. I had um, I, I booked accommodation there. Oh, nice. And, um, 10 days in yeah. Tokyo. Normally accommodation, the place that I book, like a tiny little three-star place, normally 90 bucks a night was 650 bucks a night. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> of course. And I, and I ticked on Expedia, the booking company, um, yeah, non-refundable um, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, I was absolutely shattered. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we talked about, you know, everyone being stuck in their houses at the moment with isolation. Is there anyone, a former teammate, that you wouldn't want to get stuck in isolation with? Um, <laughs> that's a tough one. Oh, what about um, Angry Ash Callis? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's got a bit of a short temper on him, and um, <laughs> I know I know it would probably annoy him so much he'd bash me up. So um, probably Ash Callis, <laughs> steer clear of him. Steer clear of him. Mate, take me back to a, a, a young Andrew in the pool. What were your earliest memories of, of swimming as a youngster? Um, growing up, I was kind of always um, around water. Um, so I did lifesaving and um, my next door neighbour had a pool, so I was just often in the water. Um, so I didn't really do any formal learning to swim. Um, kind of the, my first memory of swimming was in grade four <clears throat> um, when you do the, the house sports. Mm -hmm. um, and before the house sports, I was in Gold House. Um, I got taken um, by one of the, the PE teachers with my mum after school one time um, to to an outdoor pool. Her name was Miss Bazookas and um, she thought that I was kind of the right size and look to be able to do 50 metres of butterfly. So she wanted to try and teach me, even though I'd never done it before. Mm -hmm. So essentially she just said, uh, go jump in, some butterfly to the other end. I was like, oh, what's oh, butterfly? She's yeah. like, oh, two arms, two legs. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so I dived in, tried to swim the 50 metres, um, got out halfway, swallowed water, crying. Miss Bazookas walked me back to the back to the block again, pushed me in, and um, then I swam the whole 50. So since that, from then on, um, kind of just slowly progressed. Um, I kind of was a, a bit of a late bloomer as far as um, – 
oh, not necessarily late, it's still relatively early, but in grades four, five and six, I wasn't um, full on with my swimming. Um, I was still doing like a range of other sports, so still heavily involved in kind of AFL and baseball and my surf lifesaving and there's only so much time in the week. So once you get your kind of two baseball sessions in and maybe I was doing one or two swimming at the time and then footy as well, I was, I was very busy but not specialising in the one thing until probably year nine or year ten. Um, so, yeah, it was just a nice range of sports and kind of did and tried to do them all to the best of my ability. So I was playing, you know, baseball. Um, I represented Australia at one stage and travelled around playing for Victoria as well. And and um, in football, I was also in a state team. So kind of as a, as a youngster, I was quite a good athlete all round um, and not necessarily just, just in the swimming space. But then um, kind of things shifted. <clears throat> one year when I improved dramatically and then kind of those other sports dropped away. Mate, how much of, you know, uh, your longevity and your swimming career do you attribute, you know, to playing baseball and, and playing footy? I mean, so often, you know, these days, I mean, I've probably back in the day it used to be, you know, if you're not swimming all the time, that's it, don't worry about it. But more and more these days, you know, we're finding that the kids really should be out there doing other sports. You had a pretty long career. Do you, you know, look back and go, well, you know, thankfully I, I was sort of involved with baseball and footy? Yeah, I'm really grateful for all of that stuff and really grateful for the um, the level of interest that my school actually took in encouraging kids to do sport um, and the Saturday morning kind of compulsory sport that everyone was forced to do because I think that a lot of the skills that I learned in being a part of a team also applied of being part of like even though swimming is an individual sport you're often competing in a in a team whether that's representing your club state or country so being able to communicate um, and understand um, your teammates is a really good thing that I was able to learn through doing those other sports. And I think that, um, yeah, there's definitely some carryover, even if it's just in the way that you learn some things. Um, you learn how to, you know, manipulate your body in the water from maybe it's the way that my, my that you know, that technique in water polo or something like that mm. can can carry over. And then some of the explosive things that maybe you learn in athletics can help you dive. So I don't think specialising too soon is um, probably the right option. I actually read a book a few weeks ago that was called Range um, mm. and that did encourage um, athletes to kind of specialise a little bit later. Um, and then what you see is you see a bit of a carryover from those other disciplines into that one sport. So they use Roger, Roger Federer, for example. Mm. He played a fair bit of soccer yep. um, and that soccer, his movement on the soccer pitch had very good carryover to the tennis. Um, yeah, so just... So small things like that, I, I, I can't think off the top of my head how more, any more areas where they carried over, but I think that it maybe helped keep that fire in my belly for a little bit longer because I wasn't so um, worn out from the, the grind of swimming training. Mate, we all got heroes growing up that we, you know, we looked up to. What about yourself? I mean, we talked on there, you know, that you were into baseball and football, so it might not mm. necessarily have just been in the pool. Did you have any sort of athletes that you looked up to? I kind of, I, I didn't watch a whole heap of TV when I was young. Um, so my, my motivation came from the people that I saw around me. Um, so even within the football club, it was always the guys that were three or four years older. I wanted to, I was striving to be like them. Um, and then same as within swimming. Um, so swimming in Victoria, I had Patrick Murphy, who was a couple of years older than me. Um, and I was always striving to be like Paddy Murphy or striving to be like Matt Target, who were just a couple of years older and kind of within reach. And I think if you can kind of sometimes that, that, looking up to you know whether it's your ian thorpe or michael klim can maybe seem a little bit too far away whereas these guys really felt quite achievable for me at a young age and i just kind of clawed my way um towards them and just kind of learned from them like what were they doing like i'll I remember dropping under in the warm-up and watching how they dolphin kicked off the wall or how they streamlined and tumble turned and then yeah. would essentially just copy them um, yeah. because it, they, it, they, it felt quite close to me and quite normal. So, yeah, that was probably it for me. But Klimi was always someone that I had a fair bit to do with when, like throughout my junior swimming career. I actually swam um, at, a, at a pool that Klimi um, – his, he owned the Learn to Swim mm -hmm. at that pool. <clears throat> and the, the name of the club was actually called the Klim Swim Trojans. So, oh, nice. yeah, the Klim Swim Trojan from 12 until 15, 16. Hey, you talk about 16 there. Was it a difficult decision for you at around that age to, to sort of focus more on swimming and pursue it? I mean, 
dedicating more time and energy there? Was that hard to do given that you were so successful, you know, in baseball especially? Yeah, yeah well, it kind of came as an opportunity. Um, so I, I'd just been well, – the state championships in Victoria used to be run very early in January and I'd been down at um, – in lawn for new years and i came back and i was 16 and i came back to do the state championships early i'd been down there with a few mates who had been swimming and surfing a lot and i was super tanned and and just like in a in a really good headspace nice and relaxed before this open it was an open state championships and at this open state championships i went in there as a, a one minute backstroker which is not bad for a 16 year old mm. um in the heat i think i went 58 and then in the final, I went fifty six, nice. and I actually, yeah, you know, I actually beat Matt Welsh and um, Josh Watson, who yep. were the two kind of premier backstrokers within Australia. So this is in two thousand and four when I was sixteen, and it's like, oh, geez, I've moved from being kind of not really in the frame for being Olympic selection to now knocking off the two guys that are the the number one and two to go into the Olympic trials. Mm. So. What happened then, it kind of, it all shifted for me. So off the back of that, it's like, oh, cool. Well, let's stop playing footy. Let's stop playing baseball. And let's focus on this swimming thing for another four to six months and see how we go at Olympic trials. Mm. So fast forward to Olympic trials and I missed the team by 0.17. But that was enough for me to go, yep, this is kind of what I want to do um, moving forward. Mm. Um, and then, you know, another year of full-on swimming and I qualified for my world, first world championship team. But obviously, um, work ethic and all of that sort of stuff was instilled in you. But how much of that sort of um, change through 16, 17 do you put down to also physical maturation? Like, was that a, a big period of time for you just growing and becoming more of a man? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Um, but uh, I laugh at it because I used to be called a man child. So <laughs> it didn't really happen for me. I, uh, people joke that I was, I was shaving at 12 or 13 and <laughs> and I, I often say I was six foot and 100 kilos at yeah. 14 so <laughs> I was kind of one of those people that um was big young and um <clears throat> I remember thinking I remember maybe when I was 15 or 16 I still was you know one of the best age group swimmers in Australia and in the state and yeah. I I remember overhearing I don't know if my coach um was stirring me up but my coach um told me that Ian Pope had said that oh Andrew's not going to get any better he's as big and strong as he can get and mm -hmm. his technique's not good enough mm -hmm. so kind of I don't, I don't know if Glenn Glenn Baker who was my coach was just trying to motivate me um and, and with that kind of seed of doubt that people are saying you're only good because you're big and strong. Um, so I think that was pr probably the refinement that I was able to make once I was concentrating more on my swimming. So it wasn't necessarily like a strength development thing. Yeah. It was more of a skill and um, just, uh, yeah, a skill acquisition in those two years that made me better. Mate, talking about, you know, your training there, what did you enjoy most about swimming when you were younger? Was it, you know, being around your mates? Was it pushing yourself in training and trying to match yourself with the boys? Was it you mm. know, improving? Was it, you know, could have been just the competition side of it? Yeah, we um, at, at the Klim Swim Trojans, we just had a tiny little squad. So there was probably only 10 to her 15 of us. But we went to an age nationals one year and um, of, the, of the 12 of us that went to age nationals, eight of us won gold medals and the other four um, were all finalists. Nice. So we were this very competitive like group of kids from the Bayside region here in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so that was it. We were kind of feeding each other. We would turn up and would have heaps of fun, but we'd just push really hard. So I kind of – it was never something that I struggled for motivation to go to because I just absolutely loved it. So a, kind of a precedent that my mum had set from when I was really young was that I was the one who was to get up uh, or to set my alarm and wake my mum or dad up to take yeah. me to training. And yeah. if I didn't want to go, I didn't have to go. So it was always my choice. And I think that's always a, something that I try to instill in parents is that it's it should be the kids, you know, choice to go um so then what i'll do is i wake up i'd wake up mum go and put the toast in the toaster have a nap on the couch and then um, mum would make one one piece of vegemite one piece jam stick them on top of each other and eat it on the car on the way to training nice okay. what were some of the bigger challenges for you um you know training wise and things that you had to improve most on was it you know your kick was it pull was it underwater work you talked about you know watching the boys underwater and seeing how they did mm. it was it dives you know what what did you you know specifically had to try and work on a bit more 
Yeah, I think um, when I was younger, it was, probably would have been more my explosive speed, yep. um, just that came from the strength that those adult swimmers had in comparison to myself, um, which is something that I was able to develop over time. Um, then I think it was just kind of like training was one thing and I was a really good trainer, but then it was just about executing my race plan. Um, and sometimes for me it was just – trying to think a little bit less and letting things happen a little bit more naturally. Um, so trusting in the fact that um, the training had been done um, and now now it was race time, just kind of sit back and let, you know, all of that good work take over was kind of the hardest part for me was letting go of some of that control. But once I kind of learned how to do that, um, that's when I started to race my best. Mate, transitioning from, say, a junior athlete into an elite athlete isn't always easy and there's always things that, you know, um, falls that kids have got to learn along the way with nutrition, prehab, mm. rehab, that type stuff. Have you always mm. been pretty good around those areas or was that something you had to, you know, get a little bit better at as you got older? Um, I think when I was young, like, you try, I tried to take some of the thinking out of it. So, and you, you can do that by kind of having good sound routines in place for all of that stuff. So you don't have to think too much about, oh, I should go and do my rehab. But whereas it's just a given that you turn up and this is what I do. And sometimes like when you have the group doing those type of things or you, you, or you have, you've been given it by someone um, as in like this is what you're going to do, do this for three weeks and then it just kind of stays as a habit going forward. Mm. And then what I also used to do was just kind of have weekly check-ins for my oh, – no, not weekly, monthly check-ins for my body, like kind of locked in. So it wasn't so much like a, a reactive type piece. It was more of like a prevention's better than a cure when it came to managing my body and managing yeah. my injuries. So rather than going – turning up the physio and go, oh, I've hurt my shoulder, um, can you fix it? It's kind of like um, nothing's really wrong let's do a bit of a screen of my body um how am i looking what do i need to what are areas of weakness at the moment where can i improve great i'm not injured let's keep me that way mm. and i think if you can keep that ball rolling you know it's a bit of like rolling a snowball down a hill it can just kind of get bigger and bigger and by the end you've done that 20 weeks of work uninterrupted and it's like geez you are i am ready to go mm. you know? i may think great advice and i think that's mm. uh, something and you would have seen it yourself in your swimming career that's sort of gotten a lot more prevalent over over the years where it used to be all about, you know, if you've got your rehab done, you get your injury, go see the physio. Now it's all about yeah. the physios giving you stuff to do to stay out of his office, basically, that you don't have to go back. Yeah, it used to be a quick money grab, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now and, and it's a great thing. They're more involved in the team. I, I don't know about for yourself and, and with your team there, but... You know, I definitely know the physios that we use in my club, are, you know, come on pool deck and watch the swimmers and, you know, pick apart little things. And what about for yourself? Do you see that as well? Exactly. Yeah, it, it should be a win for everyone. You want you want the physios invested. You want them to have a relationship with the coach and, and then to have an understanding of what's going on within the program. You know, where, where are our peaks? Where are our kind of deload weeks? What can we expect? Um, you know, who how's everyone faring? Um, because the physios can pick up stuff that coaches aren't picking up and, and vice versa. So, yeah, creating that real team environment, I think, is um, the best-case scenario for the athletes, and that's what it all comes down to, isn't it? Absolutely, mate. Now, mm. 2006, you make your first senior team for Melbourne Com Games. What was that experience like, you know, being in front of your family and your friends for your, your first big team? Well, I actually made Worlds the year before, 2005, oh. in as a backstroker yep. as I was, when I was in year 12. So... Okay. I kind of I went over to Montreal and did okay. I think I made a semi-final um, in the hundred back and yep. um, swam the heat of the medley relay. Um, coming from um, swimming in the twenty-five meter indoor pool um, and then going overseas to racing long course outdoors, um, my <laughs> I was I was I got I ate the lane rope pretty badly um, <laughs> a fair bit of the time, so yeah. that was a good learning experience. But and then fast forward to the world's Commonwealth I mean Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, um, that was amazing. Um, that that was the loudest I've ever heard a crowd roar, um, and that was for every Australian that stepped out onto pool deck. It was um, it was amazing. It was just this um, the stand that they built was just a temporary stand. So when it, they all the fans were like, you know, running on the spot, like banging their legs. And it was just like, um, 
it was like lightning. It was crazy. Um, that was a really, really cool experience. Um, I, again, I didn't race amazingly. I think I finished fourth or fifth in the 100 backstroke, um, but was lucky enough to, to do the heat of the relay team um, for the medley relay, which went on to win the gold medal, which was, um, which was amazing to be a part of with the boys. Mate, take me back to um, the hole in my research, obviously, that I, I missed the 2005 <laughs> World Champs. Take me back to that meet, though, and, and you know, for, for your first meet, were there anything that, you you know, you learn about yourself on that meet that you didn't know beforehand? Um, I think once, once you get to those international um, competitions, you realise that everyone's human. Um, sometimes when you watch them on TV, you just don't think you're ever going to get there. Um, and then all of a sudden you're just there. Um, uh, and then you realize that, yeah, they just do the same warm up as me. Yeah. Maybe they are like, they're not that much taller than me. Um, maybe they are beatable. Um, it all just kind of, I don't know, the, the illusion of the person you see on TV has just been taken away a little bit. So it kind of, if anything was a, a bit of a boost um, for me um, in realising that, hey, this is just normal. Let's just go out and do it. And, and I think the beauty of swimming as well is that <clears throat> I always say you've, you've got your own piece of water, like no one can control, no one can come and, you know, bump you over or no one can miss the shot at goal. You've got your own um, piece of water and all you have to do is swim back up and down um, that piece of water the best of your ability um, and you can't control what's going on around you. So just focus on that. But, it, it yeah, it kind of took away that, that intimidation factor, that first world chance. Hey, talk to me about some of the coaches you've had over your career and, and how they helped, you know, shape you as an athlete and, and your mindset. Yeah, so I started off with Glenn Baker. So he was my coach from pretty much 11 to 21. Um, and he was an amazing coach. So he was young um, when we first started off together. So I think he would have been early 30s. Um, so we, we grew and developed um, right from kind of learn to swim all the way through the Olympics together. So we went on a real um, learning adventure together. Um, from him, I kind of learned my work ethic. Um, I learned about kind of staying relatively relaxed and trying to enjoy the whole experience. Um, and then after I finished um, with Glenn, I moved to Grant Stolwander. So Grant Stolwander um, was from Perth, but then he headed up the program at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. So he was Eamon Sullivan's coach in WA. Um, so we had like this, this what they called the super squad in Sydney for a couple of years. Um, and I learned from him just kind of um, the importance of technique um, and that every lap counts um, and to make every lap as good as possible um so he was a real stickler for like um technique um and then also being able to get up and execute as close to um competition times as possible in training time and time again mm. um and then it becomes easy when you get there to race day mm -hmm. so he was kind of um kind of the volume wasn't maybe as high but the expectation on technique and then ultimate performance and ultimate performance being time was um kind of at a very high level um for every session mm. and then after Stolly, i um spent probably a year training with ian pope um so popey down at vic center yep. and again he was a, a real big one on um technique um and discipline um very big on kind of um all your skills and drills as well so lots of drill work and then um and then skills as in like your underwater work on every single wall so they all they all kind of complemented each other and all were very good for me in different times of my career um and I, yeah it's it kind of and what i think a good coach athlete relationship comes down to is the communication um and i think that they were all really good communicators like at, at no stage did i feel like um it was a very much a coach athlete relationship i actually just felt like they were my mate um and i think that helped in our in our coaching um partnership mate 2007 you qualify for the for the Aussie team again for the world champs in Melbourne um, and it's a bit of deja vu when you know you're a part of the 4 by 100 meter IM relay gold medal again now individually you know you you would go on to have uh, more success i guess a year later um, for yourself but how much did being a part of those relay teams you know during your run uh, mean to you and and being with the boys yeah doing that with the boys is kind of the what you do it for um that's what drives you year on year um yeah you, you 
<clears throat> you you can't standing standing behind the dais or, or or the block in an Australian uniform with a couple of your best mates is um it's a kind of an undescribable feeling. Um, it's a feeling of real um, pride. Um, you're just really proud to be there um, and to represent whoever you are representing. So yeah, that that was really cool. I actually was swimming butterfly um, at the World Championships in 2007. So I'd made the change back to my preferred stroke mm. after being a backstroker for a couple of years. And um, yeah, to, to get the win um, in Rod Laver Arena where they play the Australian Open tennis was pretty special. Um, that was with Brenton Rickard, Matt Welsh and, and Eamon Sullivan. So kind of three absolute legends of their specific stroke um, and couldn't get three better guys either. Absolutely. Now, a, a question I like to ask all the time is is about, you know, um, the vibe in marshalling area with athletes and everyone's different arousal levels and some people being, you know, pumped up and some people being super calm. With mm. you and, and being a part of those relay teams, I wanted to sort of come from it in a, in a different um, tact. Is it different being in the in the marshalling area with the boys as opposed to being in the marshalling area on your own so i guess by that i mean you know when you're with the boys are you more chatty and more relaxed and then when you're on your own are you you know in your head or is it Mm. really similar um for me it's pretty similar um so some of the guys that you you and your race relays with are often the guys that you're doing the individual races with as well once you get to that level. So often you are like good friends with them. Um, and I think in the marshalling room that if you're, you're spending too much energy there being all psyched up and aggressive that by the time you get behind the blocks and you, you need to execute, you've lost a fair bit of that energy. So I think staying as relaxed as possible while in the marshalling area and having a chat, jumping around a little bit and making sure that your body's feeling good is kind of um, – of the utmost importance and that, yeah, that didn't change too much for me, whether I was racing with the team or individually. Um, even, even if I was racing individually and there were people who wanted to be that more aggressive styled athlete in the mastering room, you kind of just keep clear of them yeah. um, and let them do their own thing and not let them affect you. Yeah. Um, and then the same thing when it came to relay, came, comes to relays as well, there'd be, you know, sometimes in the mastering room, you would have like a group of maybe the, I don't know, the Polish team who are just staring at you and trying to intimidate you or yeah. you got the crazy Brazilians jumping around like slapping themselves. And, yeah. You know, there's all that type of bravado that can go on too and you kind of just have to acknowledge it um, but not be affected by it, I think. Mate, 2008 Beijing, you know, arguably, you know, the biggest international meet of your career coming away with the silver, two bronze and one of those, you know, individually in the 100 fly. Firstly, though, overall the performance, you know, at these Olympics, what do you put that down to? Was it a case of, you know, more experience and and all that sort of stuff and it all sort of came together? Was it just a brilliant block of training leading into it and you were just, you know, physically and and mentally, sorry, ready to go? Mm, I think probably a combination of everything. Um, I think my performances in 2008 were kind of like a culmination of work that had gone in of probably – what's that four years seven years in the lead up to it so i remember one of my first trans tasman team um to new zealand with lee nugent as a 12 year old um and from there it kind of it's almost like you're earmarked Mm. and you're earmarked to then go on in a in an eight-year cycle or something like that to stand up and perform at the olympics so in in those eight years you're fed all these different experiences and all these different stimulus and all these different training programs and all these different environments in order to handle everything um so kind of by the time i got to beijing it was almost like i was bulletproof um and i'd done all the right things so i'd i'd always listen to my coaches i'd done like i'd done the work so then I truly believe that the Olympics in Beijing was just a culmination of that well-planned process and I was just the lucky athlete to get out there and execute it. (laughs) Mate, Michael Phelps is someone you come across a lot during your career um, and so much is made in that race, especially with the 100 fly of his 0.01 touch um, out of Kavik and the finish. And, um, you know, I went back and watched it yesterday on YouTube, um, and a great insane. race. It's a you know yeah. to watch that finish. You don't believe he actually did it, but yeah. what people didn't see also, if until you actually go back, is you had you know your own zero point zero one touch of fate for the bronze yeah. medal, edging out world record holder Ian Crocker. I mean, you know, what a finish for you! What a moment for you! Was it sort of a surreal situation? 
Yeah, it was. It, I, I celebrated getting the bronze like I'd won the gold medal. <laughs> I, I was I was literally fist pumping myself to yeah. the to all these Aussies going crazy in the crowd. It was a PB. It was a bronze medal. I kind of I think I went in there ranks fifteenth the Olympics and and just improved my heat time to my semi-finals time to my finals time. Um, yeah, and and ex- executed my race plan as best as I could. So the, yeah, that bronze was a gold medal for me. I was going to say, mate, obviously I don't know your race plan, but just watching it back, you know, your front end was was brilliant, your turn was excellent, the underwater work. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone was like, oh, look at Phelps' underwater work. I think if you go back and watch, you pretty much came out level with level with yeah. him just <laughs> off the turn as well. So yeah. was that sort of um, a moment that everything came together in that race and you weren't even really thinking about it, it just sort of happened? Correct. That, that Your last statement there is that that not thinking um, yeah. was my kind of race plan. Yeah. Um, if, especially for me with my butterfly, it was very much a rhythmic, rhythmic stroke mm-hmm. um, yeah. and just kind of let it happen, let it happen, let it happen. And as, if I, as soon as I started to try in my butterfly, I got stiff through the shoulders and I didn't get as good catch. Yeah. So the whole race plan was stay relaxed and let it happen. Um, I kind of executed that you know, so hundreds and hundreds of back end fifties where I was pushing twenty five five, and I knew exactly how many kicks I was going to do off the wall, when I was going to breathe, and what it was going to feel like. It was just about letting it happen. So, yeah, relax, stay cool, let it happen. It all sounds, plan. yeah, that's the plan. It all sounds great in theory, doesn't it? And the, <laughs> I guess you know, as you said, but you pulled it off, and and what a finish! And poor old Ian Crocker. He uh, he missed the gold medal the year before the Olympics before didn't he? I think Phelps knocked him off. Yeah, and then this time no. around he, he didn't even make it up there. Poor poor guy, uh, <laughs> mate. <laughs> World champs in Rome, uh, known I guess as the Super Suit era, um, mm. and was you know a, a meet for you that you know although um, you didn't get the the medal individually as you did at the Olympics, but you, you still did pretty well finishing fifth. But you, you you know you broke the Australian record. I think it's fifty point eight five, and I think it still stands yeah. to today. Um, yeah. You know, how do you look back on that meet and what stands out most for you? Yeah, that was a crazy meet. Um, just the how fast everyone was swimming, just world records all over the place. Um, but it was more the lead up to that event that stands out to me. Um, uh, off the back of the Olympics, I was training on the Gold Coast with Glenn Baker. Off the back of the Olympics, I moved to Sydney um, with a new training program. Um, and the whole idea was that with that training program, we're going to spend a lot of time over in Europe racing. Mm-hmm. So essentially the Australian winter, so like coming into now, would be based in Europe, um, just outside of Milan in a place called Busto Asizio, which oh, nice. was, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Um, so we were, we were kind of racing every weekend. Um, so one weekend would maybe be in Barcelona, then would be in Stockholm, then would be in uh, Monte Carlo. So we kind of, we did the Men Ostrom series, but yep. then we also um, went around and raced at other meets. And we were there for, I think, maybe eight weeks in the lead up to Rome. So that was kind of what stands out most for me in the 2009 year was um, just that that beautiful weather all the time and then going around racing Um and just yeah, we raced in Paris. We raced in Milan. I I won a motorbike in Milan. Oh, yeah, go. we raced in this park outdoor pool in Paris in the park with the Eiffel Tower in the background. So it was just like a a summer oh, a, a European summer filled with fun and racing with some of my best friends. And that's kind of what I look most fondly back on now um, in my swimming career is the, the opportunity to travel and race with friends. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 a different experience to kind of you know, the travelling, like a holiday. Um, yeah, you don't get to see much of a particular city. But uh, I th- even think, you know, you cherish the, the bus trips and the banter that you have in the bus and, you know, that sitting around a table with 12 to 15 other athletes and just, you know, shooting the breeze is, is pretty cool. Um, and that's something that you kind of take for granted at the time. But in hindsight and upon reflection, it's kind of like they're the things that you kind of miss and may never get again. But I want to ask you a question I've, I haven't asked anyone before and you just sort of made me think of it with your tour overseas and being in Europe and stuff like that. And I'm someone who loves traveling and being in Europe. I'm currently sitting, as I said, in my bar area with all my um, shot glasses <laughs> around me of all the different uh, countries I've been to. How difficult is it as an athlete when you're over there and you're in these you know, wonderful countries to not kind of 
uh, I guess, not play up, but you know what I mean, go and enjoy yeah. yourself a little bit because you're over there obviously to do a job, but at the same time, yeah. you you know, you might never be in that city again and you might never have those opportunities. What Was that hard? It, it does require an element of... Um Discipline, um, especially with, with swimmers and, um, you know, during a taper period, how quickly your kind of legs can blow out. Um, swimmers at the best of time don't do a lot of walking. Um, and then for you to blow a taper because you've gone out and walked 10K um, shopping um, isn't ideal. So You, you say shopping, I say late night wandering back to the hotel. <laughs> Stumbling back to the hotel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I can't, you kind of have to be disciplined with it. Um, and know that that time is going to come and it's going to feel a lot better once you've raced well. Um, so often off the back of events, even I did this uh, at the World Championship in, after Rome, I went and spent two weeks travelling with um, some schoolmates. So allocating some time for holidaying off the back of event an mm. event is probably the best way to do it yeah. rather than trying to cram it in beforehand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, off that trip I went to Croatia and a few other places and, and really got to enjoy and let your hair down mm. um, in, a, in, a, in an environment that's away from the swimming. Mate, you're more disciplined than me, that's for sure. I, I don't know. If those countries, some of them are just amazing. I don't know if I could yeah. have stayed so super focused. Um, mate, tell me about the ending of your career. So between, obviously, 2009, as we spoke about just then in Rome, you know, yeah. 2010, and, and you would go on to, to try and qualify for 2012 London Olympics. Talk mm. to me about that period between then and what sort of challenges you had. Yeah, so off the back of 2009, I, like as I mentioned, I – we're traveling and racing around um, Europe and, you know, winning cars and money and having the best time of your life. Mm. And then um, then coming back, it was a refocus towards the Commonwealth Games in 2010, which was in Delhi. Um, and for me, I really wanted to win a gold medal there in the 100 metres butterfly. Um, so that was my focus and I was going to do everything I could to win that gold medal. Um, within that same time period that's when jeff hugel was making his comeback so yeah. i remember he was coming back from um maybe i think it was being somewhere around 125 kilos or something like that and yeah. then i think that maybe in jeff's thinking is that the program that we had in sydney had everything that he needed so he had you know one of the best coaches in the world had really good support from n swiss had the best strength and conditioning guys but then also had myself and garth cates who were the two kind of best butterfly swimmers in australia at the time training within that program so for him he could slot himself in there and kind of just essentially especially at the start replicate or copy what we were doing and that would get him to where he wanted to go mm. and from the very first time that i saw um jeff swim um even when he was 130 odd kilos the his feel on the water and his ability to float and just cruise through the water was like no one i'd ever seen before probably the only other person i'd seen swim like that was thorpey yeah. and it's just like a sight to behold just the ease and the comfort that the way that they sit in the water is just different to the way other people do yeah. and so for me kind of watching him week after week kind of lose um, five kilos five kilos five kilos and then at the same time the the time on the stopwatch was just getting faster 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 i started to feel a little bit threatened and i wasn't come i wasn't that maybe confident in myself and so i resorted back to what i knew best and that was um i need to do more work yeah. um and i need to maybe do that work outside of what skippy can see or jeff can see and what other people in my program can see so i started doing kind of secret spin class sessions and you know extra gym sessions by myself and maybe going a little bit too hard in recovery sessions and and essentially not trusting the process that yep. was being laid out for me and then essentially I, I qualified for the commonwealth games in 2010 but by the time i got there um, my body was a little bit beaten up and run down and um my adrenal system wasn't as well, wasn't where it needed to be to handle the bugs and stuff in Delhi. <clears throat> so after I swam the the heat of the fifty fly, I remember walk 
I remember walking back to the marshalling room. Uh, I mean, sorry, the massage table, and I I didn't I decided not to do a cool down because I felt so strange. And I laid down on the the massage table, and I just got freezing cold, mm. like freezing, freezing cold. So I was like, oh, I got to get out of here and head back to the village. Essentially, I went back to the village, um, and then spent the rest of the next three days kind of with my head in the toilet with a fever and just vomiting. Yeah. Um, just and then so I had to pull out of the fifty fly. Um, semi-final and then a couple of days later pull out like I just oh, no, a couple of days later I was like oh whatever it takes to go back and do the 100 fly so I hadn't been out of my hotel or the accommodation for you know the couple of days prior but I was like oh, whatever it takes I'm going to go back and do the 100 fly <clears throat> so I hadn't eaten for a couple of days and so with my glasses on because I had such a bad headache I was like oh, I'll get some kind of food in me and so I went to the dining hall and I had some granola um, with water on it because I didn't feel like milk was going to sit that well. So I was like, oh, awesome. Um, I'll get something into me. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then jumped on the bus, um, rickety old bus ride from the village to the pool, feeling like I was going to vomit the whole time. And then as soon as we got to the pool, went and vomited, um, which was good. And then went and waited and I was about to do a warm-up, but I was just delaying and delaying and delaying because I didn't feel comfortable getting in the pool. Um, and it happened to be the day when the, the plumbing was broken at the um, at the pool, so oh, nice. all, the, all the toilets were all flooded. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to vomit on someone else's number two, which wasn't, which oh, wasn't great. But then I was like, yeah, then I was like, I better go and do a warm-up. And I did – I remember doing 100 metres of freestyle. And I was like, oh, that didn't feel good at all. And then I called Stolly because I was running out of time because I'd left it all so late because I didn't feel good. And I said to Stolly, I'll just do a 35 um, fly, uh, hit 50 stroke rate, just feeling nice and comfortable, nice and relaxed. And he's like, yeah, cool, no worries. And I pushed off the wall. I would have done the four worst dolphin kicks you could imagine, um, came up and then essentially just sat on the lane rope, got pulled out by the lifeguard and then went home. So that was kind of the end of my Commonwealth Games. Um, But the the beauty of that whole story is that um, I got to watch Skippy win the 100 fly, um, which was amazing. So his whole comeback from where he was when he first started at our program to, to go and win that Commonwealth Games gold medal was just amazing to be a part of it. I would have just loved to have been on that behind the blocks with him or, or standing on the podium with him um, watching him get that gold medal, which I wasn't able to do, which is a little bit disappointing. But, um, yeah, that, that's the story of the Commonwealth Games. And then I guess the next two years was uh, almost followed in the same vein, um, just a, little, a lot of disappointments. Yeah. Um, so uh, the World Championship trials in 2011, I went to those and missed the team. Um, and then after missing the team, I decided to move back to Melbourne um, just to kind of take some of the stresses away from living in Sydney, just dealing with the traffic and the rent and, you know, just all of the things that can be a burden to you when you are just wanting to look after yourself and just be an athlete. So I decided to move home and, and move back into the family house, which was a, a bit of a reality check at 24, 25, but um, after being out of the home at, since I was 18. So moved home and, you know, just had the love and care of my family around me, which was awesome, um, and had a really good one-year preparation for the Olympic trials um, in 2012. And essentially I just um, – I was fitter. I was super. I felt like I was super fit. Uh, I, I'd done some really good training in the gym. I was going to the same gym guy as Matt Target, and we we're both really fit and lean and strong and ready to go. But something was still just missing in my swimming, um, and I just didn't swim well. Uh, missed the final in the hundred free, and I made the final in the hundred fly, but I was nowhere near the mark. Um, and then after that, I just kind of stopped. I just didn't go back to training again. Yeah, um, yeah. Then that, that's that's the swimming story all done. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> was there a trigger though? Like, was there a something? You know, did you have a realization one afternoon? A lot of swimmers talk about, um, you know, when they have some time off and then they don't have that feeling that they want to go back anymore, and then they start to realize, okay, well, that's you know, that's me done now. Like, if I don't need to go back, if I'm not yearning to get back in the pool. Um, yeah. then, then, you know, I, I should be giving it away. Did you have sort of a moment like that? Um, not really, to be honest. I was lucky enough to be working kind of part-time at Engine for kind of six months in the, while I was training for the Olympic trials. So I already had something to 
like dive straight into straight away, yeah. um, which was outside of swimming, which was lucky for me. Um, I, but I, I honestly thought that I was going to go to the Olympic trials and make the team. Um, and then I was probably going to retire after the Olympics anyway. Mm. Um, so it just kind of, that was just my time. And I wasn't upset. I wasn't like angry at anyone. I, I was really proud of the preparation that I'd put in. I'd eaten really well. I was proud of myself for the way that I kind of even handled the disappointment. It was, it was almost like I, I went through two years of just shock, like um, shock at the kind of the performances that I was putting up. Like I'd literally, I, I'd train quite well, then I'd go and race and I'd swim the two laps, touch the wall and then turn around and be given a time that wasn't very good and just like be completely deflated (laughs) so after a couple of years of that and then kind of that feeling at the olympic trials of not making the team i was like oh i'm just done with this now and no regrets or anything it's just like i'm just moving on to the next thing so there wasn't really a trigger it was just i just knew my time was up Mate, switching gears now, and, and you sort of touched mm. on it there with, with Engine Swimwear, and I want to talk to you about your, your business ventures. Um, mm. Obviously, you know, with Engine Swimwear and uh, New Wave Swim School program. How did you mm. get involved with these two companies? So with Engine, um, Toby, who was the founder, so Toby Hainan, he swam for Australia at the 92 and 96 Olympics. Um, he was actually best friends with my coach, Glenn Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 11, Toby, um, he owns two swim schools as well. Um, he went to Glenn and said, oh, Glenn, I'm looking at starting a, a goggle company. So Engine first started out doing goggles. I've, I've got some goggles here and um, I want you to tell me, can you just tell me, Glenn, who's the best swimmer in Australia? Like a really good age group swimmer in Australia, you know, like young and whatever. And he goes, oh, Andrew. And <laughs> Toby's like, no, 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 not your best swimmer, Glenn. Like one of the better <laughs> swimmers in Australia. Like, we yeah. want to sponsor them. And then Glenn goes, oh, no, Andrew. He's like one of the better ones. <laughs> So then essentially I was the first engine-sponsored athlete. So I'd had a relationship with Toby and, and him being best friends with Glenn since I was 12 for a very long time. Um, so that was kind of the natural progression. I went from being a sponsored athlete into being employee um, and then over time um, accrued some equity. And then the swim school, that kind of came as an opportunity. Um, so another former Dolphin, um, Cameron Prosser, he actually um, sells um, – businesses um and i was on facebook and um saw that he was selling a learn to swim center down in frankston and um that's where my fiance grew up and i actually tagged just out of for a bit of fun tagged my fiance in the facebook post and she said oh that's where i learned to swim and then cam process said oh do you want to come and check it out so i went down and checked it out with my parents and then it was kind of too good to to be true um it was just a really nice small boutique um like family-friendly learn to swim centre down in Frankston um, and kind of made an offer two days later. Um, and now I've been um, happy owners for four years. Um, and it's just really cool to still be involved, I think. Um, I've kind of got a whole new appreciation of the skill of swimming and the and like how important it is for people to learn to swim. It's something that as swimmers you can kind of take for granted. Um, but I see, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds who have never really been exposed to water or maybe even had a traumatic experience um, in, their, in the water come to the swim school and just absolutely love it or the complete opposite, absolutely petrified. And yeah. you kind of you don't want that for anyone. You want everyone to be able to enjoy the water as much as what I have. And so to be able to nurture these children in, in a really nice, quiet environment is something that we're really quite proud of. Yeah, nice. Mate, how have you found business life? Um, and, and what lessons did you get out of you know your swimming career that's helped you become successful away from the pool? Um, I kind of – it's not easy – um, I remember when I first started um, first started working, I, I remember just thinking about how relentless it is um, mm. without kind of the reward of your hard work necessarily being given to you, if that makes sense. Like in, in swimming, you, you've always got something that you're training for, like an event, um, and, and you get some gratification out of um, 
each training session, whereas work can sometimes be a little bit unrewarding. <laughs> and and the hours are long and everyone does it. And um, you kind of take it for granted. Like as a swimmer, you take for granted that your parents are going to work and then picking you up from swimming training and then dropping you off early in the morning. And then, yeah, you're going to school during the day, but your parents are out there working and it's hard to earn a dollar. Um, and you kind of take it for granted. But now that I've been working what, almost eight years, you, you kind of um, you, you appreciate what your parents um, did in order to, to help you travel and pay that, you know, a couple of thousand dollars to go to an age nationals or something. And, um, yeah, it's just it's put it all back into perspective for me. Um, but the business side of things is fun as well. Mm. Um, it's really rewarding. Like with Engine, we sponsor, you know, close to 100 athletes around Australia mm -hmm. um, and we're involved. I probably go to oh, 50 to 100 events, um, surf lifesaving and pool swimming and open water swims around Australia. So I'm still lucky to be involved in the sports and passion, the, the events that I'm passionate about. Um, so I, I get rewarded in some capacity, but still there's a lot of time, you know, staring at a computer screen, sending emails and writing up documents and stuff that, you know, that's it's real grunt work. And, yeah, um, yeah there's lots of millions of people around Australia that are doing the same thing. And, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Matt, I wanted to say uh, well done, by the way, with the engine, the daily workouts you guys are posting at the moment. Um, and, you know, they've been pretty pretty awesome. And not whilst I haven't been doing them myself because I've been super busy with the podcast, as you know. Um, but I, I do know some of my own athletes have been using them and, and doing some of those um, training sessions at home and been loving it. So well done with that sort of stuff. Oh, that yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, we've had really good feedback on that. And I think that's, um, yeah, as a business, like you're forced to pivot a little bit, you know. It's like, oh you know, there, there is no swimming training and you've got all these athletes that are at home and maybe they don't have access to to something, um, you know, a, a program or something that, you know, that people can do as like a bit of a group. Um, that community of, of coming together every training session has just been taken away from people. So I think people have really gravitated towards those live workouts. Mm. You know, we're having upwards of 200 people watching Ali Day and myself do a workout on a Saturday morning. It's pretty cool. And, yeah, and then we're just trying to put put a workout out every Tuesday and Thursday um, and then the live workout on a Saturday. So, yeah, it's, it's something that well, we also did. I uh, also wrote up a, a 2K Tuesday program mm -hmm. that I put out. It was 20 different training programs that around two kilometres nice. um, that is free to download. So I think that whenever you can position yourself as a, in the education space as a bit of an authority, I think it's a good thing to do as well. Mate, you keep yourself pretty fit, as we talked about with those videos, and you strike me as someone who, you know, always, I guess, likes that competing side of things, and it brings me into sort of where you went into next with, with CrossFit competitions and stuff mm. like that, and you didn't just sort of dabble in it. I mean, you went pretty hard and, and did pretty well. Talk to me about the CrossFit competitions you've done. Yeah, so as soon as I finished swimming, I, I kind of started, the first thing I did was just start running because it was easy, um, so you know, you don't need much equipment. You can walk out of your house and you can just start, which was something that really appealed to me. You know, you know, with swimming, by the end of it, the thing that can kind of get you down, it's like, oh, maybe you travel half an hour to get to the pool and then you do your bit of dry land for 30 minutes and then you swim for two hours. So the whole thing can take three, four hours just yep. to get a two-hour session done. And sometimes that session maybe even as as important as a recovery session of two or three K is, it doesn't give you that you know that buzz um so when i was yeah as soon as i finished swimming i started running you could walk out of the house and kind of just start sprinting mm -hmm. or just run and then finish up at home and i'd done 10k and it was just seemed to be time effective and then and then i kind of got a little bit tired of that and a mate said oh you should come try crossfit um and i was like oh what's crossfit he goes oh just come along it's kind of hard to explain it's still kind of hard to explain but what i think appealed to me about it um initially was that there were so many new skills that I could learn in this sport, you know, it's whether it's rowing or gymnastics or Olympic lifting or, you know, handstand walking or handstand push-ups. It just seemed to be this wide gamut of skills that I could pick up. Um, and that appealed to me because, you know, I'd been trying, I'd been pursuing a fast um, swimming time um, for, for 20 years that, this, this was just something really cool and, and you kind of every time you touch on a, a movement week after week, you see improvement and I hadn't seen improvement in swimming for a while. So yeah. <laughs> it was nice to see. And then when you, with improvement, 
you want to improve more and more and more. And then, you know, with me and coming from a, a disciplined background, committing to something wasn't something that I'm afraid of. So before I knew it, I was training kind of, you know, most mornings and most afternoons um, and then working in between. And before we knew it, we had a, a really strong team that we represented Schwartz's CrossFit Melbourne and we went to the, the national championships, um, which is called regionals, um, which was in Wollongong. And then we actually won the regionals and went to the world CrossFit Games. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, which was in California and got to compete against the, oh, a couple of the famous guys like Rich Froning and a few of those guys. And that was really cool. And it just it just shows that, if you, it's, I think it's a little bit the same with anything that if you you stick at it and you have a good coach and you, you're disciplined with it, you can pick things up. You just got to continue to improve and improve and improve, and you can get there. Mate, away from pool and business and, and CrossFit stuff, and in doing my research about you, I found a couple of things. Now, one is that in 2008, you were a nominee for Clio Bachelor of the Year, which uh, congratulations <laughs> on that. I've never Thank had you. that sort of accolade myself. <laughs> uh, other than that, mate, I, I want to focus a little bit more on your love of music and, and DJing. Now, I've seen you on the decks at Nationals, um, yeah. in the finals, you know, pumping out the tunes, getting the crowd going. Talk to me yeah. about DJing and what inspired you to, to get into it. Well, when I first moved from Melbourne to the Gold Coast uh, after I finished school, I moved in with Glenn. Uh, I was actually living at, at Glenn's house. So I was seeing a lot of the one person. So I was seeing Glenn when I woke up in the morning, when I went to training, when I came home having breakfast. So music was kind of my escape. <clears throat> so uh, when I was 18, I bought some decks and we put them in the garage and I ended up spending a lot of my time in the garage. And that's kind of where it all started was just playing music to get away from Glenn. <laughs> and then kind of the highlight was um, DJing at the um, London Olympics. They have all these crazy party or after the Olympics, the second week, they have lots of different crazy parties mm-hmm. with the sponsors put on. Yeah. Um, but um, there was one called the last lap um, in, um, in London that was put on by a bunch of Australian guys. And I, I got to DJ there um, nice. every night, of, every night, of, every night of the second week, which was pretty fun. Hey, nice. What what sort of music inspires you? So what what are you into? Um, I listen to music all the time. Like I wake up and I put something on. So now with um Spotify and the the curated playlist that they they make for me, I I, I mainly listen to that like in the morning. So nice relaxing music. But then during the day at um at work, I listen to lots and lots of um like house music, mainly yeah. like deep house music. So like kind of very melodic, not 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 many peaks and troughs, just like kind of steady fun. Oh, I find it fun music, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> others maybe don't. But yeah, I've got I've got a SoundCloud um, that you can see some of the music. That I I like lots of stuff and share lots of stuff on there, so you can find my um, SoundCloud account to see what I listen to. Hey, nice. Well, mate, I don't think that'd be bad to listen to at all. It can't be any worse than bloody. Uh, little Uzi that my swimmers tell me to listen to. So, they were, we're doing Zoom training the other day, and they're, oh, yeah. bro, bro, can you put on some music? Because obviously I can play the music through my thing. So I'm, all right, what do you want? Oh, yeah. Little Uzi, Little Uzi. I'm like, who the bloody hell's Little Uzi? So anyway, I put, um, put on Little Uzi, and uh, I had to very quickly stop it because some of the words that were coming out were not um, were not fit for the swimmers to be hearing, that's for sure. <laughs> that's that whole TikTok generation, I think. It's kind of, I've just kind of missed it. Oh, yeah, well, so all I, thank God. Music. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> right, I'd like to uh, finish all our chats with some less serious questions just to find out a little bit more about you uh, and, you know, what you're like behind the scenes. So, mm. uh, what talk to me about books or movies? Oh, in isolation, I've had time to do both. Yeah. <laughs> But normally movies. What's your favourite movie to watch? Um, I love um, Remember the Titans. Oh, me too. Good movie. Yeah. I um. How were you introduced to that movie? Um, oh, I can't remember to be honest. Sounds like you've got a story though. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's the coffee <laughs> kicking in. I like to talk too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. I uh, when I was training and I didn't have anywhere near of a, a career like you guys do that I get to interview, but I um. My uh, head coach, Justin McAvoy at Campbelltown, took all the Gold Squad to a, uh, a movies to watch it. So he, I didn't know what I was watching. I just went along with the team because I'm, I'm assuming, like a lot of people, you know, you just go along with the team because you're with your mates. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we watched it and it was just – it was a brilliant movie. I loved it. And um, Justin was laughing with uh, a few of the jo- – you know, the mama um, – uh, my, yeah. your mama jokes. 
yeah, yeah. carrying your mum all night and all that sort of stuff, and he was yeah. laughing, and that's just always resonated with me. So yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great movie. Um, what about yeah. TV shows, mate, to binge watch? Um, I've just finished watching on Netflix. It's called Too Hot to Handle. Okay. Um, it's it's very <laughs> it's a little bit risque, yeah, yeah. Um, but it kind of I binge watched that with um, my fiance last week. Oh, nice. What about um, a lot of people are playing games at the moment? Board games, computer games. Do you do you play games? I'm not much of a gamer, but um, again, in isolation, I've pulled out a, um, a thousand piece puzzle, yep. um, which is now spread over my whole living room floor. So oh, that's nice. kind of my my game at the moment. My wife's been doing a puzzle for ages, and I. Oh. I can tell when she's got the shits with it too, so I just try and stay away from her for a bit because she's <laughs> she's because <laughs> she's getting close to the end, so she kind of wants to hurry it up now. And oh, it's it's lucky. kind of, it's it's kind of the thing that looks way like way cooler for someone else to do than <laughs> for you to do. Like yeah. even just even just pouring the pieces out and then getting them sorted. Like I, I only started on the weekend, and it's already doing my head in. It's going to take a while. Mate, way more patience than me. People doing stuff like that. No, thank you. Um, yeah. What about your favourite meal? Um, I love a chicken parmigiana. Oh, nice, nice. Do you have the chi- the chips with it though? Yeah, a couple of chippies. Yeah. Love chippies. Absolutely, and mate. What about? Um, obviously, we spoke about your travelling around the world before. Give me some of the countries that you most in- enjoyed being around. <clears throat> um, my favourite. Um, place on earth is a an island in croatia called havar oh. h h-v-a-r um yeah but then but then locally i i love even just i love the gold coast i love byron bay um and i love the the town um on the south coast of new south wales kiama um spent a little bit of time there um and can't wait to get back mate when you look back on your swimming career what um you know what memories will you cherish the most I think, luckily for me, I've, I've carried a lot of like really good friendships out of it. Um, so, so a lot of my best mates um, are swimmers. So the friendships that we made on the swim team. But then I think, uh, apart from the friendships, some of the disciplines that I've I learnt while in swimming, um, and that you know the the result of hard work, like putting in the work, it's going to be worth it with. Um, with the result that you get at the end. Um, I think that, that that's another one. It's just about the discipline and hard work. So friendships, discipline, hard work. Um, and then I guess also the trust of a team. So now with, you know, now in business, I, I, I'm in the process of building teams, you know, like I have to trust my teachers and yeah. they have to trust me, um, you know, and it was the same, a little bit the same as like, you know, that process from a 12-year-old to the Olympics. It was about, putting all of the right things in place and putting going through all those different scenarios so that when whether it was me or someone else stood up on the blocks they were ready to go so it's now it's now it's me kind of breaking down all my different areas of business for us to be as prepared as possible for when something comes to production um so yeah i guess i guess that's the thing as well is building really strong teams and then trusting those teams yeah nice mate i think we'll wrap it up there and thank you very much for taking the time to to come on the show for a chat i know you're still at work so hopefully i haven't kept you back too long it's been an absolute pleasure to interview you and hopefully mate you've enjoyed it as well i have robbie appreciate it and um hope to catch up soon absolutely mate look forward to hopefully getting you back on again in the future mate stay safe with everything going on at the moment down there don't go too crazy being stuck in the house Uh, until then mate thank you very much for coming on off the block swing podcast today's episode of off the block swing podcast is proudly powered by pro swim workouts Wow, what a week it has already been with legends Ash Callis and Andrew Lauderstein coming on the show. Huge thank you to the boys for taking the time to come on for a chat. We really do appreciate it. Now, I mentioned at the intro of the show that we had a big, huge guest announcement for this Friday, and it is none other than five-time Olympic coach and a man who, with his athletes, has won almost 40 Olympic medals in total. And he's also the man who is best known for coaching a guy named Michael Phelps. Yep, that is right. This Friday, the 15th of May, you will not want to miss our sit-down Zoom call with one of the greatest coaches of all time in our sport, Mr. Bob Bowman. 
Now, if you want to know all about Michael Phelps and their tremendous partnership, this is an episode you will not want to miss. I'm very excited to bring it to you guys, so please make sure this Friday you are ready to rumble for the Bob Bowman interview. Until then, though, guys, let's bye for now.